Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We'll be looking back at all the action from a dramatic Super Saturday in the Six Nations as France sealed a first title in Grand Slam for 12 years. Plus, we'll be looking at where Wales, Scotland and England and Ireland go from here. Plus, we'll be chatting with the man who led Italy to their first Six Nations win in seven years. Italy head coach Kieran Crowley will be joining us, so settle back, enjoy and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. How are we, lads? Glad it's over. Said it. (laughs) (laughs) What Andy Rowe normally asks is, how was your weekend? As we know, two weeks have rolled into one, and it has been a monumental week of northernness. And I say northernness, followed by Irishness and Frenchness and Italianness down in Cardiff. But for us personally, it has been a monumental shift, humbly. And the body wasn't used to it, the mind wasn't used to it, certainly. The guts weren't used to it. And <laughs> the arse, as we know, which failed on me in week two or three. But what I should say is a big thank you is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say thank you to everyone who came out. And obviously the two shows we did last week, Manchester, Liverpool, two big shows to finish on. And what a way to go out, Andrew, singing Hey Jude in Liverpool, not knowing the words and just hitting them with a wonder wall in the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, wasn't it? Like, I mean, you talk about glad it's over. Yeah, I mean... Just need some rest. Sunday, I was so happy because I didn't have any work on. And that was the end of all the live shows, the end of any Six Nations games. There's obviously other work being undertaken over the next few weeks. But, geez, yeah. There's a lot of Guinness being consumed over the last six weeks by a lot of people around the world. And I'm going to suggest that maybe I'm up there in the top 5% of people that have drank more Guinness than anyone else. Tell the races that on Thursday as well. On top of a live show in Manchester on Tuesday night and a kebab afterwards. A live show in Liverpool on Wednesday night and a kebab afterwards. I'm going to cut you off there because you mentioned kebab, right? Now, people think that you might be taking the pish. If they could see you, they know that you're not, right? So they know that it's (laughs) legit. But some of the listeners, unless they're watching it as well and they're super fans and they're dual listening and watching, the listeners will be like, yeah, all right, same old. Yeah, kebab, like 100 pints of Guinness responsibly. True and then true. On Tuesday night in Manchester, who goes out on a Tuesday night? Well, I'll tell you who goes out, Andy Goode. And I've woken up the next day from a picture from Andy Goode in the kebab shop. And then I woke up, room 610, didn't realise he was in 609. I've got a kebab, box outside my room, completely empty, absolutely minging of onions, leave to go and do some filming with Ashy. And I said, mate, did you leave a kebab packet outside my room? Banter. He did. He did. And then on the Wednesday... We're in Liverpool. What do we do? We go for a kebab at two in the morning. So it's all true. And Andrew loves a kebab. Who doesn't love a kebab after you've had uh, a load of Guinness responsibly? I mean, it's the way to finish the night, no? You're asking the question. I don't know whether it's rhetorical or not, but my tongue felt like it was going to fall off <laughs> the next morning. How good did it taste, though? It was good. It was good, I'll be honest. I mean, it was. It said Donna. I don't know whether Donna is a code word for Alsatian, but my goodness me. It was, as the people in Leicester say, it was salté. How is the body feeling, Goody? I'm just going to say one word, heavy. I mean, I've tried to sit on the toilet quite a lot over the last three days to try and get as much out of me as I can. I've been to a couple of spin classes and they've been significantly tougher than they were a few weeks ago, let me tell you. So yeah, I'm glad it's over. But what I do want to say is a massive thank you, as Jim did, to the thousands of people that have come. You know, we've gone up and down the country. We've been over to Ireland. We've been in Wales, obviously London, Edinburgh as well. 
Manchester, Liverpool, you name it, we've pretty much been there. Dublin, Belfast, the lot. All of them have been unbelievable. Copious amounts of Guinness, a lot of laughs, a lot of people coming to get pictures and saying how much they enjoy the podcast. We're generally humbled, aren't we, Jim, at the response that we've had going around the country. I mean, some of the cheers, some of the booze, some of the kebabs, some of the Guinness. You can write a book on what we've done over the last few weeks. And part of that has been putting on about five kilos to make me even heavier. But part of it is to say a massive thank you to everyone that's come out because it's been unbelievable. Well, if the book had pages and the pages were kgs, hit us with a number. Just hit us with (laughs) a legit number. I'll go first. I'm saying I reckon you're weighing in at your page number is 125. James, you can go fuck yourself. (laughs) I saw 110 the other day, which was embarrassing. I'm like, geez. What day was that, though? Because that's important. Because if it was Monday. Friday. Was it? Yes. I saw 110 (laughs) Friday, post Liverpool, post Manchester, post Cheltenham. Yeah, I saw 110 on Friday. Be honest with me now. When you look down, can you see toes or not? (laughs) I can see everything. I can see an elephant's trunk. I can see toes. I can see a camel toe. No, I can see everything, James. What I need to do is, and I've started, you know, I've I've walked a bit of golf over the last couple of days. I've been to a couple of spin classes. I'm going on holiday in about three weeks, so I need to make a drastic, drastic change over the next three weeks. Otherwise, the, the missus will probably leave me as well. Well, she won't. She'll just be like, stay away from me. Right, well, let's get into the rugby then. It was quite a big night in Paris on Saturday. We'll come on to England in a minute, but how impressed were you guys with France on the day and during the tournament as a whole? We called it, didn't we? From the start of the tournament, it kind of unfolded how we thought it was going to be right. I think me and Andrew sit here as, we don't call ourselves experts, but we know we are. But other people do. Well, other people do. Don't go based on me match point predictor, but we can go through the results <laughs> that we predicted last week. But at the beginning of the tournament, how it's unfolded, unfolded, let's talk about France first, because that's the subject we're on. We thought... We knew, we kind of knew, that France were going to win the Grand Slam, didn't we? We knew there'd be a couple of tough games along the way. And we all agreed that it'd probably come down to this game against England on Saturday. And I don't know what everyone else thought. I've not been able to do the the rounds on social to see what the general consensus was. But that was a hell of a test match. Hell of a test match. And looking at it from my point of view, watching at the airport in Dublin, where there's a lot of people being sick in carrier bags. I don't know why in Dublin they're sick in carrier bags. It's just, (laughs) actually, they're not Irish people. They're probably Scottish people. And I can see why they'd be sick in carrier bags now, thinking about what's happened for Scotland in this championship. But from a French perspective, watching that game, it looked like they had a couple more gears. They never looked like losing. And that was the most impressive thing. England, I thought the game plan was great. I thought... Really? I I thought England were good. We knew we were going back on Twitter. We are having a bit of a Twitter war about it. I thought England played well. Did you not? Not until we were 18-6 down. No, they should have carved us open. Like the French, had it not been a Grand Slam game, there was a, a, a bit of anxiousness around some of the passes. You know, Gail Ficou broke up the middle and some of the plays like opened us up like you wouldn't believe. We could have been 20-odd points down at half-time. And my big th- issue with it, listen, France were great. You know, there's a few drop balls that halted a bit of their momentum, but they were so far ahead of us in that first half and we just kicked the leather off everything. Now I get you've got to play territory. France kicked the ball a lot in their own half, but they get into the opposition's half and they stop kicking it. You know, the odd crossfield kick might be on here or there. We are kicking it to the cowsheds and back. Like, it's ridiculous. You look at it and I think the way the game panned out for me, because France were a bit edgy, in that first half, and they had loads of opportunities that they couldn't convert. But then they go in at half time, they're 18 6 up, you know, second half starts, England start actually holding onto the ball. We had a 20 minute spell where we stopped kicking it for a bit. We were playing ball in hand, Marcus Smith was pulling the strings. We end up scoring the try in the far corner from Freddie Stewart. Completely different tactics to what we did in the first half. And then the French were like, well, we know this is a Grand Slam game, you know, we, we just got to win it, however. And they, you know, there's a big, massive turnover from Gail Fiku in the 22, which was a game changer. Then they just turned on a bit of power again and Audrey picks up the ball around the base uh, of a ruck, flicks it inside to DuPont, try, game over. But I think that scoreline, 25-13, I'm looking at it going, in reality, I reckon that's a 40 points to 13 game had France taken their opportunity. So England, you know, for, for 20 minutes here, they were plucky and, you know, there was some good ball in hand stuff, but... In reality, Eddie Jones' tactics, I think, are clueless. I really do. He's got players that are ripping it up in the Premiership, playing a certain way for their clubs, stick them in an England shirt, and he's all about kicking. I've never seen Marcus Smith kick it so much in all my life. Tactically, I disagree with you, Jim. I thought we were inept at times. But you could say, 
And this is with the conversation, the joke that we have around Andy Robinson when we played the All Blacks in 2009 or 2010 or both. We're going to fight fire with fire. At what point are England going into that game playing the way that England can play well with the likes of Marcus Smith, Harry Randall, I know he was on the bench, the exciting backs that they've got, the lightweight forwards that they now have without the Vunapolas. At what point was anyone thinking that England were going to go to Paris and rip them apart? The only game plan was, in my opinion, when the bat line got released, or the whole team got released, but mainly the bat line got released on Thursday, was kickers of balls. Freddie Stewart on the wing, George Furbank, out of nowhere, has come back into the squad. I'm actually thinking to myself, you know what? Smash and grab. Here we go. And then they started sending the balls to the air. And I'm going to segue slightly. How good is Freddie Stewart? Yeah, ridiculous. Ridiculous. Mm. Unbelievable. So that's what my viewing of the game was, was around, I thought, if I was a coach, and thankfully I'm not, my level would probably be Germany, at best, maybe assistant line-out coach at Germany. But I am looking at it from that point of view, where I thought... The tactics were, in my mind, how I would have gone about it. Anyway, I was a forward. I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the physicality. I thought Genji was exceptional. I love the way how they used him in the bat line. And you know what? That shows me the worry with England is the fact that you've got to use your loose head prop. I know you play to your strengths, but the fact there was no one in that back line else that could do what Genji was doing in terms of carrying. I disagree with that. Like I love the fact that they used Genji back there, but we used him all the time. So imagine your loose head prop running it back, and he made more metres than I think any other England player. Then you go and ask him to scrum against the biggest tight end in the world. And then we got a penalty given away at scrum time. Our scrum was under pressure. So whereas I liked Genji doing that, Sam Simmons, he is, look, look what Sean Edwards said about him the other day. He's like a running back in the NFL. Sean Edwards, one of the best defensive coaches in the world. So why didn't they have Sam Simmons back there as well, you know, interchanging with Ellis Genge? Sam Simmons is a devastating ball runner back. You're not going to run straight at someone. And Genji, all he was going to do is get the ball and run back at someone. He's going to get tackled, right? He's going to win the game line. You know, I saw Paul Willems to try and monster him and, you know, he'll bounce one, then someone else will take him down. You know, I thought it was great that he was back there for one or two occasions, but you've sapped the complete energy out of him to do anything else. And this is the thing, you've got Sam Simmons, you've got Don Brandt. I thought, you know, going back to your point around the selection of it, I thought it was a risk-averse selection. It was a selection of, let us I don't want to get beaten by too many points, so we're going to kick the leather off it and play a territory game. Whereas you're picking someone like Marcus Smith, you've got Marchant. Marchant played really well in the centres. Slade played to his strengths. Kick it in your half, no problem, but get into their half, try and shift these big boys around. Allow Marcus Smith to dictate the tempo of our attack whereas I think Eddie's got them all in a straight jacket he's gone for Freddie Stewart on the wing right and that's fine you've gone Furbank at fullback he had Ollie Hassel Collins in the squad right who's a big six foot four winger the size of a horse like you could have had Ollie Hassel Collins and Freddie Stewart but you've gone Furbank completely out of the blue our best tactic was Freddie Stewart catching high balls until they held on to it for a few phases in that second half we ended up scoring the try but listen France were dominant you know did I think England could go there and win no, because of the way Eddie Jones coaches them and the way Eddie Jones sets out a team to play. You know, he talks about this New England, you know, we're going to show an attacking side that no one's ever seen before. Oh, fucking hell. I play for England. I kicked it a lot. We're 15 years on from that and that's all he's doing. So, yeah, I'm frustrated with it because there's so much more to come out of this England squad, yet no one seems to be able to hold Eddie Jones to account around our tactics and I thought they were all wrong. You mentioned Eddie Jones being held to account, Andrew. What about... Sir Clive Woodwork, he is hammering him. Because in 2003, when we won the World <laughs> Cup... But you've got to ask the questions, though. Like, and fair play, I know, obviously, there's a bit of a different angle from Sir Clive, or Sir Cliff, as you call him, Jim, you know, going at Eddie Jones. He's not scared to go hard at him. And there is a history there around 03 and other things. And Clive Woodward's obviously got issues with the RFU because of things that transpired after 03. And, yeah, he wanted to get back into it. And Clive's got this... I think he's got this persona of himself that he's the greatest rugby brain there is. Well, Clive, you're only working rugby really at the minute is on ITV and you know, you need to be in there day in, day out. Like sometimes we talk about it, watch it all the time and we're involved in it. Yet sometimes I feel quite out of touch with, you know, seeing how a team sets themselves up. So for Clive to think he's the oracle of rugby is ridiculous because he's not involved in the game. But also he's got the experience of being a test match coach and has the ability to understand the game and question Eddie Jones's tactics completely. Two wins for a second year running for the England side, but uh, 
The RFU are encouraged by the solid progress made and appear to have backed Eddie Jones. What do you guys make of the whole statement and the, them coming out and saying that after the tournament? The question is, who's made that statement? No one's put the name to it. It's just collectively the RFU. And to say we're encouraged by the solid progress the team has made during the Six Nations, where's the progress? Scored less tries than we've, I think we've probably ever scored in the Six Nations. And let's not forget, I played 10 a few times in a few Six Nations games and I was the most average attacking 10 out there possible. And that's probably pat myself on the back too much. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see. Where have they made progress? There's no difference in results from this year to last year, except for last year we beat France at home. This year we beat Wales at home. You know, we beat Italy both times. We lost to Scotland both times. We lost to Ireland both times. You know, so we've had two wins in five games in the last two Six Nations, right? So progress rise results, no. The only real difference that I can see is the whooping and hollering. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were good at that against Ireland when we had our biggest ever defeat to Ireland at Twickenham. He's given players opportunities. So he's bought in Harry Randall. He's bought in Marcus Smith. You know, he's bought in Freddie Stewart. The continuation of that. Sam Simmons is back in the mix. Alex Dombrandt. The only progress I can see is probably the average age of the squad has been reduced which can be seen as a positive because they can play for longer for England. I can't see it. And that statement, and you've seen some of the headlines that have come out, people are calling them liars. I think Sam Warburton said they're lying to us. Who's lying? The RFU are lying to us. I think Sam Warburton said that on TV last night. I've got to agree with him. It's just deluded for me. You're coming out with a statement as quickly as that. What the RFU should have done, in my opinion, is say the Six Nations, no doubt the results aren't good enough. But we are backing Eddie Jones to take us through to the the 2023 World Cup. Don't try and pull the wool over everyone's eyes by saying, there's progress, because I can't see any. To say what they've said and to show a bit of disrespect, I think, for the competition, to say it's all about the World Cup and we're developing, we're developing. So you've got to live in the here and now a bit as well, lads. And, you know, Eddie Jones in England are, they're deluded if they think that's the case. Where do you go from here, Goody? Well, they're going to Australia in the summer for three tests. I'm not down talking Australia here because they are on the way back up, and they'll have Quade Cooper back in the mix for the, our summer tests. Ireland against New Zealand, toughest of assignments. Like, who goes there and wins a three-match series? Historically, not many teams, if any. Wales, bless them, couldn't beat Italy at the weekend. <laughs> They've got to go over to South Africa and get absolutely monstered this summer. And we're going to Australia. So we've got the easier of the... I mean, Scotland might be going to Germany. Where is Scotland going, Jim? You mentioned Germany. They might be changing course. They were going to Argentina, but I don't know what's happening in the squad at the minute. So, hey, TBC, as they say. So it's tough. The biggest thing you want to see, and he's got the players there. Um, I'm reasonably happy about the players in the squad. There's obviously other guys to come back in, like Manu, if and when he gets fit. Owen Farrell will be back in the mix. Luke Karansiki will be back in the mix at some point. There is players to come back in, but not sort of players that are going to massively shift the whole team's identity, apart from Manu, right? So I was so excited pre-Six Nations, you know, when Manu was fit, thinking this is it. Like Marcus Smith and Manu, we've got the daring Marcus Smith with all his boxer tricks, and then we've got Manu, who's an absolute game-changer as well. Take the boys out of the straitjacket and let Marcus Smith play and dance around the field like he does for Harlequins with the confidence the, that he shows there. You know, let Marchant do that. Henry Slade, these boys... And it'll be different against Australia. Listen, Australia will play that way as well. So I could see us going out in there. And the mad thing is, as much as everyone's frustrated with Eddie Jones, I could see us going out to Australia and winning a test series. So where do they go from here? Our attack. Now, Gleeson was Wasp's attack coach for a couple of years, a bit longer actually. I never saw Wasp's attack anything like, anything like England are attacking right now. So to me, it's all driven by Eddie Jones. I never saw Wasp's kick like, England to kick him and Gleeson was the attack coach at Wasps he's the attack coach at England so it just sits with me that Eddie Jones is the man that is an autocratic leader that you know how much have the coaches got a say in what's happening I don't know you know you only have to look at John Mitchell leaving and all the other coaches wanting to get out of there it's Eddie's way of the highway Eddie needs to change and allow the boys to attack a bit more and stop just kicking it every time we get anywhere near the 22 or in their own half well, let's turn our attention now to Dublin. You were there, Jim. I know there's a lot of media in the lead up to the game regarding a certain few players being out in the booze. What, what did you make of that whole situation? Tell us, Jim, what happened? Lads went out and had a beer. How many? 
Well, between one and ten, is there a difference? Once you get through <laughs> the numbers? Because I don't know the whole story of it. So I heard some people said they were out till three o'clock in the morning. One person, I heard. Which is fine by me. But other people said it was just a few beers. So obviously contextualise what you know, because there's a massive difference between going out till 12, one, having a couple of beers, and then going out till three, and you're absolutely steaming. This is what I've heard's gone down. Now, it's only through rumours and the grapevine. And what I don't want to do is talk about stuff that has or hasn't happened. I do know, and I think we all know, it's quite public in the Scotland team, there is more of a tight-knit operation than South Africa. Me and Andrew spent a bit of time with some South African players on a Wednesday night before they played Wales. And the differences with South Africa and Scotland is they're world champions. So I'm going to ask a question. It's rhetorical. I know the answer to it. But if we were playing for a Grand Slam at the weekend against Ireland, right, and they played Italy, Ali Price got his 50th cap. They haven't been out as a team because of COVID and because of everything around that. Everyone else is starting to go out now because COVID's over in the eyes of the unions, apart from Scotland, where we've still got to wear masks. We were meant to not wear masks today, but apparently that's changed. I didn't know, I didn't have my mask on in the shop and someone's looking at me like it's all my fault and I ate the bat. Anyway, <laughs> when you look at it now, the lads are thinking, right, we're thirsty. We've spent two years not doing anything. We've been on British and Irish Lions tours. We've not done anything. Ali Price, the old mucker who's got a great list, just got his 50th cap. We've got a rare win. I'm joking. We've got a win against Italy. If there's any time that we can go and enjoy a beer, or 10, I don't know how many they've had, it's now. So on the outside looking in, there ain't a real issue, is there? Lads go out and have a few beers. The issue is, right, and this is where I can see it, and this bloke's chewing me ear off at the airport, like, why did they do it? Why did they do it? Let's get this right. I ain't bothered. Am I bothered? Am I bothered? I ain't bothered. I don't think Goody's bothered in terms of our character. The issue being, right, is that, one, it's hockey, right? So he's the captain. They've got obviously got rules or whatever. They've got this code of conduct within the squad that they're not allowed to go out because of COVID and because of the restrictions and games getting cancelled, etc., etc. The fact that it's now out there in the media that Hoggy's had to apologise shows that, they, that they're in the wrong. They see themselves as being in the wrong. Now, with Finn not playing against Ireland and being on the bench, I was thinking, well, that's a fair call because he's not played well. Blair Kinghorn, give him a shot. He's nowhere near as good as Finn. That's a fact. But now we know the reason why. And the rumours has it is that Finn was out a little bit longer. Hoggy got called back to the hotel by Gregor, as did the other lads. And Finn was like, I'm not here now. I ain't coming back. I am out. And there's clearly, right, there's clearly an underlying thing with Finn and Gregor. How many beers you can have, what's acceptable, what's not. I don't like environments like that. That's, you know, ultimately why... Well, the reason I'm not playing now, the game's gone professional, too professional, some might say. But if you look across history, even in recent years, this is something that young men, young athletes do. They need a blowout. The Barbars lads did it. The French lads did it in Italy when they went out for waffles and there was probably a bit of red wine in the morning as well. It happens, right? The weird thing is, is one, that it's gone out. Secondly, that it's been made into such a big thing. So my point being, my question being, if Scotland won for the Grand Slam, would we have spoken about it in the lead-up? Probably not. I think it's the fact that the performances haven't been good. You could say that Hoggy's not played as well. Well, I can say it. he's not played as well. He didn't play as well at the weekend. There was a couple of opportunities. The opportunity against France. The issues around Finn. And then you throw all that into the mix with being the highest profile guys. The question then would be, would a Dan Bigger have done that? Would an Owen Farrell have done that? Would a Johnny Sexton have done that? No. I'm answering the question. So the questions now are around the culture and whether, not whether or not Hoggy's the right captain, Gregor's the right coach, whether the culture's right, whether the environment's right that these players are operating in, whether they're happy, you know? Whether Hoggy, Finn, Johnny Gray, Hamish Watson, Ali Price, your high-profile players, whether they're happy in that environment. And that's what you've got to ask, you know, with only winning a couple of games, is that enough for them? The environment coming into a professional environment, playing for Scotland, playing for your country, not being able to go out and have all that. Are they happy? Well, it doesn't seem like they're overly happy because they've gone out and they've gone against the rules. So I might be completely wrong. Gregor got interviewed after the game. Is Hoggy your captain for Argentina, maybe Germany? And he couldn't answer it. So for me, there shows that there's issues because if Hoggy's not captain, then who is? Bring back Swinno. I'll tell you what, if Swinno's captain, I'm going out. So. <laughs>
like we've done all right this championship. So if you, if you think about how the championships unfolded, we beat England game one. We lost to Wales by three points when Wales were motivated as anything and Finn got Simbin and we only lost by three points, right? We never got going against France, but who did? Ireland, maybe. So then we beat Italy. We get a bonus point away in Italy, right? Italy are pretty decent now, as we know. And then we're never going to beat Ireland, right? When you look at it, What's, what's the negative? Well, it's the truth. You just said we're never going to beat Ireland. You beat them when you played and you were, your team was even worse. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Andrew, very true. But we had one or two big games in us and it was the right. It was the same script. Ireland were on for the triple crown. But the fact that the coach and Hoggy said after the game that was their best game of the championship, the fact that we got 26 points upon us and we scored five and that's the best that we've played, that backs up my point. Being pitch side, mentally and physically, the lads were there. As in, they were zoned in, they were physical, they were aggressive, they were, they were desperate in everything that they were doing. But there's a big divide. And the accuracy wasn't there. Obviously, the opportunities that we got, we didn't take. We had a line out in, in the first half. First time we were in the opposition 22, lost the line out. Obviously, Hoggy had a four-on-one, albeit the cover tackle, and I thought the defence from Ireland was good, and people are talking about he should have passed it. He probably should have kicked it through. But the <laughs> point being around Scotland... My expert opinion. <laughs> My point being around Scotland is that is the the, the the kind of difference. And all these things that are happening alongside it is making us or people ask more questions. Mm. And we have to because where have Scotland gone forward, really, when you look at the grand scheme of things? Is it the fact that we didn't beat Ireland and France? Is that it? Because they're better? I don't really know. It's, it's all these other things that are coming out that, you know, there's a bit disjointed in terms of what we're doing. So I can't answer the question. Let's just say they went out till six in the morning. They had an unbelievable night. How does Scotland move forward? Do you back your coach or do you back your senior players? You can't. We're not in a position to do that. You have to put into context where we are. We've got two professional teams, right? We haven't got a huge pool of players. Eight British and Irish Lions, though. Yeah, eight British and Irish Lions. But how many of them started? For the British and Irish Lions. Once in a generation team, you said this is, Jim. All these big words you've used. I'm piggybacking what John Barkley said. Grand Slam possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> and with all them things in the mix, and we can't do it, where do we go? There ain't anywhere to go. We can't turn anywhere. This is what we've got. This is it. You know, you've got one tool to pish with, and that's it. It's the million-dollar question that there's not... We are in a phase now where... You can't rebuild. You've got to keep moving forward. And look, we look forward to the World Cup because we've got a really easy pull against teams that we've dominated in recent years. So South Africa and Ireland and Spain. <laughs> Going to be hard. Imagine the Spanish beat. You better go beat them this summer on tour. Let's talk about what happened on the pitch as well with, with Ireland. What, how impressed were you guys with them throughout the tournament and, and on the weekend? Yeah, listen, really impressed. You know, you look at, they'll be a little bit frustrated. There's that one moment in the French game where they took the three points, had Sexton been on the field, would they have gone for the corner? That could have been a Grand Slam win for them potentially as well. So they are a proper outfit. You know, I go back, and I don't want to go back to England, but look at the way Ireland attack, look at the way... They haven't got monster players like Taufi Fanua or Paul Willemser or a massive centre like they have with Dante and Gail Fiku. They have got decent-sized individuals, but they're beating teams by being so accurate in attack. You know, everyone's ball handling, everyone's an option, everyone runs and understands the lines they're meant to run in the, you know, the ball, the short ball to a forward, the ball out the back, always in motion. So they're always a threat to the defence, right? And that is class attack. Coached by Mike Catt, who, by the way, used to be England coach. So they've got a massive understanding of how they're trying to play, where they're trying to play. They're all on the same sort of hymn sheet, whereas, and I'm not taking it back to England, it's the flip opposite for England, right? So Ireland are very impressive, very impressive as well. And you, you, you analyse all teams. There's a lot of people in Ireland coming out and saying, oh, we're peaking in between the World Cups again. It's what we always do. You know, they're going to lose to Spain as well, no doubt, in 2023. They're, they're obviously not, but they look in a really good place. They're well coached. Defensively, they're they're pretty brutal as well. They've got Caelan Miel, Doris, Van der Fleer and Jack Conan. They're not the biggest back row, are they, in terms of man size, but they're the most effective back row in, in everything they do. Powerful, you know, the footwork in and around contact, the ability to get the nose through another couple of yards, looking for the offload game. Absolute class. So Ireland, right? If there was a World Cup right now, they'd be going there as one of the top four teams in in the world to go to go and win it. The thing you might say is, how long can they sustain it? 
well, looking at them, I'm backing them to be bloody decent come 2023 in France. I agree with your statement there, Andrew. If there was a World Cup now, with the way that they're playing, they've got world-class players that are performing. So uh, I think they're a joy to watch. If, if, if I was coaching a team, right, and yes, it would look like France. That's how everyone would want it. But realistically... If I was coaching a team or had a team, I'd want it to look like Ireland. That is how I'd want to play because you can bring players in that aren't freaks of nature that France have. Like Andrew mentioned, like Dante, Taufi Fanua, Paul Willemser. You don't make these players. Well, arguably you can say that France don't even make these players. But <laughs> Ireland have got to swap players in. And whenever they do, it doesn't look any different apart from the scrum that's had issues. So I love watching. I love watching Ireland play. And credit to all the coaches involved who are English. I bet you loved watching Italy play in Cardiff then as well, didn't you? It was right, wasn't it? <laughs> amazing game. It really was amazing. And you've got to pay due respect to the competition. Obviously, Wales made a load of changes. But that was all about Italy. They were... They were quite dominant, I thought. Told you. Did you though, Jim? I mean, you said it as a throwaway joke comment last week. Did you back it up on your match point predictor? My agent did my match point predictor because he wanted me to keep credibility. Ah, okay, okay. Imagine the credibility if you've actually gone through with it and said Italy by one. Well, he's sacked now, so. (laughs) It was great. Listen, you know, you can pick out so many facets of the game. Yeah, obviously the winning try, Campuoso with the break and all that stuff. Yeah, and there's things to talk about that. And we'll get into the detail of that. But I just loved... When they put the Wales put the kick through and Camporoso's in his own dead ball line, they end up going the length. It was just, and that's what they get the turnover from the penalty there as well. Josh Adam was was sealing off. It was an absolute joy to watch, and you know people have been pretty harsh on Italy, and uh, you know you have to be at times with the, with the record they've had. But behind the scenes, and and people have said they're developing. You know, obviously the twenties have come through, and Kieran Crowley's obviously doing a great job. He's he's had time to change the team and. and pick a young team that you know Camporoso's playing Pro D in France for Grenoble like he's not even playing top tier yet he does that over the last couple of weeks I was just happy for them like delighted that there's a storyline there okay they've gone to Wales and won away from home as well and a part of it you look at it there was a, a massive part in the game where Wales are 21 points to 15 up Win Jones gets over the line he thought he'd scored you know they judged it to be held up there was no clear evidence that it was a try that would have taken it to 28-15 and game over probably but because there was still the bonus point to go and get for Wales the way they played in that last five minutes that allowed the box kick was awful that went long from Hardy and then the absolute magic from Camporoso. And interestingly, I don't know if these people didn't see it or they did see it. Moriarty running back. Do you see him nudge Padovani in the back? Mm. Propelled Padovani and said, they are, mate, there's a 2v1. You're going to score the winner. And it was crazy from Moriarty to do that, which yeah, obviously made the 2v1 a lot simpler and sort of allowed Padovani to get right under the stick. So brilliant from Italy. Really pleased for him. You know, a brilliant performance. And it wasn't a fluke, was it? Yeah, Goody, you mentioned a couple of things there. The kick through where Capuzzo was in his dead ball line. Montiuani makes the break. The kick goes through. And it's Fischetti, the old spaghetti, front rower, who is chasing that like a moleful. He is chasing that like a moleful. And the desperation in that team, they deserve to win. And this is what you want in a team. And I don't want to go back to Scotland, right? And the game against France and how Finn gets called up. But I've kind of gone back to that game where Finn was walking. That was a sign of a team playing in Cardiff that were desperate, absolutely desperate for anything. That try at the end of the game, that is a try made out of desperation. And Italy, they weren't 100% throughout, were they? Ioane, he had a a similar thing to Stuart Hogg on the inside where he makes a break and he, he could have passed the ball inside, gets banged into touch. The ability not to die in the collisions and not to stop and to keep carrying on and the fight that they've shown... It's been coming. It's been coming. Wales made seven changes in that game. And yes, they brought Alan Wynne-Jones back, 150th game. Will Rowlands has been standout player for Wales. So you wonder whether the disrespect was there from Wales. Did they respect Italy as much? Well, I can tell you the answer. They, they obviously didn't. They didn't. They didn't play the same way as they played against Scotland. They didn't play the same way as they played against England. But I should say, I was involved with a documentary with Italy and rugby pass in their game against the All Blacks. And I was over there commentating, I don't know if I mentioned it for Amazon, on all Italy's games. So I got a snapshot of the 
the way that they play, saw some behind-the-scenes edits and stuff like that. But the one thing that came out of that documentary is the young captain, Michele Lomaro's 23 years old, his speech in the lead-up to playing the All Blacks, the passion, unbelievable. What he kept saying, respect and credibility, respect their credibility, something like that, whatever that is in Italian. I think I nailed it there. And that is what they are fighting for. Italy aren't fighting for wins. They're not fighting for championships. They're fighting for respect and credibility. The captain said it before they played the All Blacks. And the way that they play, and we've said it before, and I said it at the beginning of the tournament two or three games in, and it sounded like a ridiculous statement. I said, like, they're trying hard. Defensively, they're putting in big shots. They're physical. They've got athletes now. They're trying hard. They're a young team. But it doesn't matter. None of that matters unless you win. And watching them win at the weekend and... Garbisi kicking that goal and the raw emotion and some people be thinking, oh, it's a bit cheesy. Whatever. That is the emotion of a team that was desperate. Absolutely desperate. And I go back to the point that I made about respect and credibility. If you ain't getting it winning in Cardiff, who's won in Cardiff in Wales? Not many people. Not many people, not many teams. So it was unbelievable. I absolutely loved it. And you know what? It's made the Six Nations so much greater because that happened. And you talk about the two bookends, France winning the Grand Slam, Italy finishing bottom, who cares? After what they did in Cardiff, who cares? So there's a lot to get through for Wales, I'm sure. Wayne Pivak, you know, is Alan Wynne-Jones going to carry on? Can he finish on that? A loss in Cardiff to Italy? I don't know, but there's a few question marks in Wales. We've questioned them, the regions and stuff like that going forward. Maybe it's caught up on them. I don't know, but it's all about Italy. Well, we can have a chat now with the man who masterminded that win for the Azzurri in Cardiff at the weekend. Former All Black, Taranaki legend, and Italy head coach Kieran Crowley joins us. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Kieran, I bet you're good. We were having you on the podcast today, win, lose, or draw. How good is it to have you on, having beaten Wales in Cardiff at the weekend? I can see the flame is burning literally in front of you. How happy are you, mate? Oh, yeah, you know, um, yeah, when you first asked me to come on, I was wondering what the hell I was going to say, you know, on Wednesday because, you know, you didn't know what the result was going to be. But yeah, no, pretty happy. I'm really happy for the players, actually, particularly uh, because I mean they um, they worked hard and you know they they've taken on board a lot of things we're trying to put in and um, you know they needed some results at some stage to get them validation for that and that's the most positive positive thing moving forward now. So yeah, no, I'm pretty happy about it actually, to be honest. And Jim mentioned the fire then. Just set the scene for our listeners because uh, we can see on video you're you sat very happily in front of a fire outside in Italy with your Italy jacket on, but there's got to be some Prosecco flowing, has there? Yeah, well, if, you are, if I'm completely honest, I've actually got my gumboots and jeans on underneath that because, you know, I had to have a bit of a relaxing day. So, you know, mowed some lawns and that sort of thing. And now just having a couple of Proseccos in front of the fire. Yeah, so you got to enjoy these occasions because this coaching is a bit of a roller coaster. You know, it's up and down. And uh, when you have good times, you got to make the most of them. So you got to reflect and enjoy it and then uh, because, you know, tomorrow's another day. I want to go back to, uh, and we'll get into the game a bit deeper in a minute, but I want to go back to the, the match-winning moment. Obviously, it pans on you in the box and you're stood there, arms crossed, like not even flinched at all. And now, obviously, looking back on it, I'm like, if that was me, I'd be jumping for joy. I'd be probably over the balcony. I'd be trying to grab someone's pint and neck in it. You just look so calm and relaxed. Is that the... Is that the way you are with wins or losses? Because it was an amazing scene, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And uh, people have asked me about that. I mean, uh, yeah, I suppose I've been around for a little while in this coaching, you know, coaching role. The first thing I looked at when he scored the try was I looked at the clock, how long to go. Have, we, you know, have they got time for the kick? Are they going to kick off again? <laughs> that was my initial reaction straight away. And I, I calculated, and I'm not great at maths, but I think it was a minute 24. So I thought, okay, they can't kick off again so okay Jesus you better get this kick <laughs> and yeah everyone everyone's jumping up and down yeah we've won we've won and I, I said you know I just said listen guys I've seen this before just hold it what about after Karen did you shed a tear oh yeah I did actually to be quite honest you know I had Marius Goose in there he's been six years with the national team and he's never won a Six Nations game and you know he's a he's a pretty hard-ass guy but he you know walked straight out and he just cried but uh, that's great too because that just shows you how involved the guys are and, and how much it means to them, you know. So um, yeah, it was a it was some pretty cool moments actually. And did you get a night out? Did you go out to Revolutions or Tiger Tiger or any of the clubs there and end up in Chip Alley? No, nah, no, nah, we were uh, we were actually on a plane three hours later back to Verona. So um, and then we had to sit on the tarmac for a couple of hours. Uh, 
mechanical thing or something. So we got back to Verona at two o'clock and some of the boys still went out to nightclubs. So, you know, they, they had a pretty good time. Kieran, as you know, I was down in the autumn. All the millions of listeners, I've said it about a million times, but commentating on all your games. And I was coming home and I was telling people, look, there's something there. And all the whispers coming out of Italy, and it's easy to say there's something there. They're a team in transition. They've got a new young captain coming through. The under-20s are winning. But the exterior view on it is it doesn't really matter because it's about winning games. Like, how important is it that that message is coming through now, especially with everything with South Africa being spoken about and Italy not being in the Six Nations? How important is that, that the message has come through, your under-20s are doing well, but the statement of that winning Cardiff, just for that reason alone, to show that you're still here. Yeah, you're on two sides of the fence yeah. here. I mean, I sit here in Italy and, and I just see all the reports, you know, and everyone goes that that Wales were terrible and, and you know, that Wales, you know, just never turned up. And it, to be quite honest, uh, excuse the French, but it pisses me off. No one gives Italy the credit for actually playing well and staying in the game. And, and it was the same against Scotland. You know, people say that Scotland didn't play that well. Well, you know, I could show you a couple of referee decisions that could have gone the other way and the game could have been quite different. So it depends on what side of the sit. But, you know, from, from my perspective here, you know, I'm just so happy that they got... Uh, I've seen a massive growth in our players, this uh, Six Nations, and the way they work off the field. You know, you see the on-field performance, but but the way they work off the field and, and the environment that Michele Lamoro is driving and, and some of those other players like Padovani and Rootser and Nacho Brex has been massive. You know, some of these guys, uh, they, the improvement that they've made off the field and the growth they've made off the field, they had to get validation at some stage for all those efforts. And the fact that it come in this last game against Wales for me was huge. You know, if it hadn't have come, well, then we were still trying to develop something when we get into you know summer's still going to be a development stage for us but you know when we get to november and then next six nations it, it would have you know we were still trying to drive something but the fact that they've got a little bit of validation now for their efforts will hopefully give them some belief that in what they're doing is actually working so so that is a big positive for me out of this one and one of the other things you, you mentioned Lamaro then the skipper he, he's been inspirational but from a fl- ex fly half's point of view Paolo Garbisi I've been really impressed with him not only in the Italy shirt but he's keeping Andre Pollard out of the team at Montpellier as well so you know when he first came in you could see there was real talent there he's really grown into that as as a 10 now that is on the front foot and leading the charge isn't he yeah it is but that's also development of players i mean you know like Paolo went to Montpellier. Montpellier's profile of their team is completely different to the profile of our team. You know, he's got yeah. he's got Ford back in Montpellier that's just so massive that you know they win the advantage line all the time. He can kick all day, and they'll just uh, take it up and they'll you know get line out drive tries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, you come to Italy, you're not going to get that at the national level. So from a team's perspective, you got, you know your game management or your game is going to be different. And to be fair, he probably struggled with that. I thought in November. You know, he struggled with it and, and come to it a little bit at the start of this uh, campaign. But I thought in the last three games, he's, he's really uh, bought into it. And and so he's developed massively, I think, for me in the fact that he, he can go from one environment to another and change the way he manages games. You know, it depends of the people around you, the strengths of the people around you, that, that um, how you do it. But yeah, he's going to be around for years and he's going to be a world-class player. I would Hazard a guess now. I mean, he's only 21, I think, 22, is he? In 10 years' time, you know, be, you'll be talking to him in the same about him in the same sort of manner, maybe as like a Johnny Sexton now sort of thing from an Italian point of view. Yeah, that's class. Another man that's on the lips of everyone, and I'll be honest, I saw him come on against Scotland and there was a kind of a smile because he looks so young and so fresh, I suppose, is uh, Capuzzo. How do you say his name first, uh, Kieran? Because a few people doing the rounds with it and we want to give him the due respect and we can talk about how good he is. So maybe you can give us his full pronunciation of his name and also just how special this kid is. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm really fluent in Italian, so it's Angie Capuzzo. Oh, Capuzzo, yes. There we go. Yeah, Angie, um, yeah, we first got notified about him um, that he was uh, eligible for Italy, well, at the start of this year, actually, and I watched a few of his games in, um, in Grenoble. We could see that he had a little bit of skill and a bit of ability, et cetera, et cetera. But then, you know, you look at his stats, I think he's 74 kilos. Jeez, you know. Um, but he was playing well. So, you know, we got him in and, and you know, you get him in the environment. And the, the thing about coaches, I think, too often is that they look at what players can't do. And I think you got to actually look at what players can do. 
And he can do a lot of things that some other players can't do. He's got sp- uh, he's got speed. He's brave above his weight by, you know, 10 times. So he has a lot of attributes that he's really positive at. So, yeah, we watched him. And then, um, he, unfortunately, we were, we were actually going to start him earlier on. But, unfortunately, he got an injury with his club. So... Uh, that kept him out, and then we brought him in uh, off the bench, and you know uh, he contributed to a couple of tries in the uh, Scotland game, and so then we decided to start him in this one. Yeah, his pace, and like I said, it's something you can't buy, and he has a knack for the game too. I mean, you even look at that period when uh, inside the inside his own goal line there, where he fed off to uh, Monty, and you know we ended yeah. up the other end, which ended up in three points. I mean, that was composure. He never ever looked stressed at that particular stage you know he was under control so yeah he's got a bright future I mean the, his challenge going forward will be you know as players or as teams see him play you know how they how they manage or try and keep that's, him out of it you know that's going to be his big uh, learning now but the positive with him is now he's off to, to uh, Toulouse so, you know one of the best teams in France so he's going to get a lot of uh, great experience here yeah, I text uh, Ugo Moller over the weekend saying you need to pay him a few more euros now. He's, he's produced that as well because uh, he coached me at Brief back in the day. So Tal Angie, has got to go in there and ask for more cash now because it was brilliant at the weekend, wasn't he? Yeah, no, I was. And, uh, you know, you know, uh, yeah, you look at him uh, a few minutes before that and he's getting cramp um, and all that. But then, you know, we're in the box and we're saying, how can you get cramping calves that are that big? So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Your under-20s are cranking as well now, aren't they? So the expectations are only going to increase for better results aren't they yeah they are i mean uh you know the the challenge with italy is that there's never been that transition from under 20s into the professional environment you know straight away i think i've told this story before around uh you know a guy like marco riccioni and uh, xander ferguson they were in the same uh, under 20 campaign together and uh, you know they left the and they were the hits as, as far as tidy props go at that particular stage and uh, xander ferguson goes back to a franchise in scotland and marco riccioni goes back to a club in, in Italy and you know now Xander Ferguson's played what 50 odd games for Scotland or something someone was telling me but you know, I don't know if that's true but you know he's he's played a lot more and a lot more experience than uh, Marco Riccioni so the transition from under 20s to national or to franchise rugby fully professional rugby etc is a big challenge that we've got here and uh, Franco Smith's doing a lot of good work now in his role of, of trying to uh, get that transition a lot better and you know you look at under 20s this year finished third in the third in the competition which is a great achievement you know there's a number of those players you know I watch their game against Wales like I've seen all the other games there's uh, you know a few of those players that you know the next World Cup might be a little bit too soon but by the next the World Cup after that you know hopefully they have had a lot of experience and are, and are going to be uh, contributing to to the Italy uh performances absolutely on the other side of that Kieran just lastly from me Sergio Parise is he due a swan song is he going to get a swan song is that that emotion still around can you afford to do that in this professional game was it going to happen well, it was going to happen, not as far as a swung song went. It was going to happen because he deserved a selection. You know, I watched him play. I was watching him play um, and I'd been in consistent communication with him. I thought he's played really well for Toulon. I was actually going to bring him in in November, but then he broke his hand and then uh, he came back and then he got COVID, went through his club and, you know, they didn't play some games. So uh, we decided, OK, we'll leave you for a couple of games and... And then, um, yeah, the whole thing uh, came down to he played uh, another game and I thought he played really well in that. So uh, he was going to be selected for the Scotland game. But, uh, yeah, then the situation, the club was in agreement with them and, uh, you know, what happened happened. He made the decision that he wanted to try and help his club out of the situation he was in, with which I respect 100%. So he's done that. So, you know, what I've said now is that, uh, yeah, well, you know, we, we'll go on a uh, performance-based selection now. So, you know... Also in that now, we've got to be looking towards the future. So as far as him getting a swan song, you know, I don't think in this professional environment, you know, it's, it's test match rugby. You don't just give a guy a game for a game. He's got to deserve a selection. So if he if he gets selected, he'll deserve it. But he's been a great performer for Italy. You know, I mean, you know, you can't play as many games as he's played for Italy and and not deserve recognition. You know, he, he deserves, just like, you know, guys like Dan Bigger and, you know, Alan Wynn jones you know, it was a disappointing result for them on the weekend. But, you know, from a Italian point of view, you know, got to, we got to pay tribute to outstanding careers for those guys. And, you know, they're obviously going to continue for another couple of years. Well, Kieran, you certainly deserve the rest of that Prosecco, mate. So we'll let you get back into it and enjoy the rest of that fire as well. Yeah, cheers, guys. Enjoy the fire, Kieran. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, mate. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. 
Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great lad. Top lad. Top lad as well. What a bloke, eh? I mean, I love the way you actually listen to him then. And he's sort of saying about, you know, no, it's not a swan song you get picked on form. And, you know, everyone's banging on about this 36-game run of, of defeats. It, he doesn't see it like that. Obviously, he's relatively new into that. So what's gone on before isn't anything to do with him. And this young squad he's got. You listen to someone like that, a fountain of knowledge in rugby, and you can see why... You know, Italy A got the win, but also there's, you know, a lot of positivity around not just the main team, but the 20s and everything that's going on in Italy. So. Brilliant to have him on. We were having him on win, lose or draw, and how much better after a win for Italian rugby. And i tell you what, I, for whatever I've said in the past, and I talk a load of shit now and again, and I talk facts now and again, but I, I absolutely loved it to see them win and the emotion, the Latino spirit. And the fact that everything that you're hearing out of there, that they're building, they're in transition, they've got young lads coming through. Well, they have. Young captain, young profile of a squad. Huge for the Six Nations. Huge. And then huge for the Six Nations means it's huge for rugby. So buzzing for them. Well, that's the Six Nations done and dusted. So let's quickly check in on how you guys did on the Guinness Match Pipe Predictor. Well done, Goody. You finished top of the Guinness Legends League just above Andrew Trimble. Well, just above. Doesn't, doesn't really matter, mate. I basically... Won the Guinness Legends League in the Guinness Matchpoint Predictor. So I think what I deserve is free Guinness and Blackcurrant for life. And well done, Jim. You avoided the wooden spoon, finishing just above Benjamin Kaiser. No comment, lads. I am burying my head firmly in the sand. And congratulations to Luke Malone as well, who won the Rugby Pod League with 14 correct predictions and five perfect scores. You can still claim pints of Guinness this week, and the app is changing from Match Pint to Fanzo. The women's Six Nations starts this week, so you can keep playing with the women's pint predictor. Same format, predict the score, beat your mates, and win free pints. Enter the code RUGBYPOD when you join up to join the league. And thanks again to Match Pint and Guinness for their support over the Six Nations with our live shows. Right, well, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, loads of good as ever this week in the world of rugby. And we're going to start off in France and not the French national team. We're going to start off in Toulon. I've given them a bit of stick this year, but they are in the good this week because they absolutely smashed La Rochelle, 41 points to 11. Uh, and Cheslin Colby finally produced a bit of magic for them. He's had a few injury issues, but he's back and he scored an absolute worldie of a try alongside another try. So uh, great to see Cheslin Colby back fit and firing. Uh, what else is good? We're going to go down to the Champo. The old championship. Mikey Raya, one of the best names you could ever wish for. You know you're some sort of legend when you've got an all-dayer named after you. So you can call it Leo Sayer. But no, a lot of people call it the Mikey Raya, the all-dayer. Well, anyway, the real Mikey Raya, the legend of Bedford, has been unbelievable over his career as a coach. He had his 500th game in charge of Bedford Blues this weekend. So a massive shout out to Mikey Raya. What else was good? Ireland, uh, under 20s, they sealed a Grand Slam with an absolute spanking. Pants down, round your ankles of Scotland under 20s. Uh, they destroyed them 59 points to five to seal the Grand Slam. So well done to Ireland under 20s. Yeah, what else is good? We're going to talk about Josh Adams and his A's performance was pretty good. He got announced as man of the match over the stadium loudspeaker. But no, everyone's looking at it. When it's a close game, ladies and gentlemen, you should be waiting to give your man the match to see whoever wins. So if you have to wait till after the game, to the 80th minute, and then say, oh, 
by the way, this fella got it because they're on the winning team. But no, fair play to Josh Adams. He got announced as man of the match. And as we saw, I put up my Twitter feed, load of videos around this. He handed his man of the match medal over to Angie Capuzzo for an unbelievable performance. Think of the two big impacts on the game. The try that Padovani scores to win it was unbelievable. But that came from Capuzzo's break and also you know when they broke out from their own trial as well. So I handed it over to him. What an instruction he's had for international rugby. He gets mentioned the good, as does Josh Adams for realising that he should have got man of the match and not himself. So, well done to Josh Adams. Uh, what else was good? Well, we're going to stick with the Italians uh, and we're going to mention Monte Ioani. 12 ball carries, 174 metres, seven defenders beaten and three line breaks. Very impressive by him as he gets a mention. Italy, of course they get a mention. The 36-game and seven-year losing streak in the Six Nations was ended with a victory over Wales. You could see what it meant to them with those celebrations. So massive shout-outs to all the Italians. I wanted to give it to them. I really did. But I couldn't because I had to give it to France. They're going to get the good this week. We had Sean Edwards on last week, an absolute legend of a bloke. Well, he's clearly a legend of a coach as well because they've won their first Grand Slam and Six Nations title for 12 years off the back of Sean Edwards coming on this podcast last week. So the good this week goes to France, won the Grand Slam. They're back. They're a force to be reckoned with. Sean Edwards at the helm, coaching their defence. And he said, they're fucking pick and go. So massive shout out to Sean Edwards and all the French boys. They get the good this week. Uh, the bad, a few bits of bad, really. Uh, and we're going to start off with the bad news that Big Devon Toner has announced he's retiring at the end of the season. I thought he was going to play forever. Gutted to see Big Dev retire. He's been an absolute stalwart for Irish rugby, for Leinster. Came on the podcast, got the biggest cheer. Bar the one I got a couple of times. But he got an unbelievable cheer as he came to the podcast and put Jim back in his place. So massive shout out to Devon Turner. But bad news that is, I'm, I'm putting that in the bag because I didn't want to see Big Devon retire. So there we go. Yeah, what else was bad? The Scotland under-20s are going to get a shout-out in the bad this week. It's not a shout-out. You don't want to be in the bad, but you're in the bad. I'm putting Scotland under-20s in the bad. Scotland are synonymous with winning wooden spoons, mainly during Jim Hamilton's reign. But the under-20s have won the wooden spoon, if you can say it's a win. Scotland in the 20s, lost all five games. I got absolutely dispatched by Ireland at the weekend. So played five, lost five. Wooden spoon, the reverse Grand Slam, the losing Grand Slam for them. So that's not good. Bad times for Scotland under 20s. But the bad this week is going to go to a whole country. And I'm a quarter of that whole country. And it is Wales. Welsh rugby is getting the bad this week. They've been mentioned here or there in the bad this season. But it's Welsh rugby as a whole. Because it isn't just the senior side that lost to Italy. That gets mentioned in the bad. The under-20s lost as well, 27 points to 20 at home to Italy. Cardiff got smashed 40 points to 3 at the Stormers in the URC. And the Scarlets were absolutely hosed, 57 points to 12, down at the Bulls in South Africa as well. So a very, very, very bad weekend for Welsh rugby on the whole. So they get the bad this week. Uh, the ugly, only one bit of ugly this weekend, and it is Scottish rugby, Jim Hamilton. It's a 19th bottom half finish in 23 seasons of the Six Nations. That's bad. But the ugly bit about it is, why is it that whenever things aren't going well, you just have to start arguing about going out for a few beers, Jim? Like the Scots, you think you're going to win the... You've mentioned it, Jim. Grand slams, nah. Bottom half, 19 out of 23 times in the Six Nations... You have finished in the bottom half. And then you're all scrapping with each other because you want to go out for a beer. You're not allowed to go out for a beer. You can only go out for five. You can only go out for 10. You can only go out to 11 o'clock. Then you're back in at four o'clock. Then your trousers down. The skid marks are everywhere. The ugly this week goes to Scottish rugby and the disagreement between going out for beers, not going out for beers, being allowed to go out for beers, go out but don't go out, wear your mask, don't wear your mask. And you finished in the bottom half of the table yet again for the 19th time in 23 seasons. Scotland Rugby, you get the ugly. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, got a big shout-out to Falarians Rugby Club in Watford. A group of people from the club cycled 355 kilometres to Stade de France in Paris at the weekend, inspired by a brave young lady, Lola McCabe, the daughter of one of their players. She's been diagnosed and is, is receiving treatment for leukaemia. So they're raising money for the hospital in Watford and people can search Valerian's Ride for Lola on the Just Giving page if they want to donate. 
and it's one hell of an effort, so well done. Yeah, well done, Falerians. And a big congratulations as well goes to Barts and the London Hospitals RFC. They won the United Hospitals Cup on the 11th of March. Uh, it's the oldest rugby cup competition in the world, apparently. And a big shout-out goes to Arjun, the captain, with a match-winning try, and everyone at Barts and the London Hospitals RFC. So well done. Yeah, well done, guys. And finally, a big shout-out to Tom Channon, who made his 150th appearance for Cornish Pirates at the weekend and scored two tries in their 31-24 win. So hopefully a few rattlesnakes for you. I had a few of them with Ravo. I literally couldn't open my eyes the next day. So hopefully, Tom, <laughs> you've had a few of them, or 10, responsibly. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, producer Tristan. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. Spotted pod, 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 pod. <laughs>